the privilege of ministering His Word. Absolutely love ministering His Word, captivated by His Word daily, weekly, um, and uh, just so aware of, of how alive it is. Um, just want to encourage you so much this morning, even as we were just singing there in the end, I just, I, I could see the Lord um, just releasing and declaring who He was. I could hear Him just singing, he see, I see and I provide, I see and I provide, and I just, I, I, I heard, I just, my spirit man was just Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, it's who he is, and I want to encourage you, um, religion has tried to stop the church from, from stepping into this reality, but it's, it's, it's heading there very fast, he is so good, and it's who he is, and as we declare who he is, he's releasing, you know, we, we, we've tried to do this thing and earn it and deserve it and get things right and put things in their rightful place. But he's so good um, that he's just been faithful for us to just to realize that it's positioning our hearts of just adoration and worship. And because he's a God who sees and provides. It didn't say he's a God who's looking, seeing who is worthy and deserves. See, it's a, it's, you come into line, it's... It's almost the statement on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes we forget we think it's uh, in heaven as it is on earth, as if we're leading. No, He's leading, we're following. Amen? So what, it's us just coming into line with heaven. And as we come into line with heaven, what's happening in heaven is worship. Nothing happens without worship. As we align ourselves with worship, so then God just begins to release. And I believe as the hearts of His people just come into a total adoration for Him, He's just going to begin to release. So you might be sitting here this morning, maybe even heavy with a lot of challenges that are happening in your life. I want you to don't underestimate just worshiping Him. Because you're releasing angelic hosts. You're releasing the heavenlies. And He sees and He will provide. That's who he is. It's his very nature. He's that good. And that's why just as an encouragement, this is not just um, bums on seats that we're needing a new venue. Um, this is because we want to uh, fulfill the mandate and the calling of God over our lives, not just 24-7, but I believe over the church, what he's mandated for us over the, in the Bible. And that's that I can't express fully in this place what I need to express. Holy Spirit is beginning to move and God is beginning my little uh, protons and neutrons and electrons, all the trons, they're far too excited for this place. Far too excited. I need a lot of space. I need a lot of room. I need, these things are shaking. See, it's not just my little guys that are shaking. The whole earth is shaking. The whole earth, when it groans, it's little trons. Can't do that. Lucky there's no video. Um, There's a shaking in the whole earth because they're groaning for the sons and daughters to arise. Not for the sons and daughters, the goody two-shoes, the sons and daughters who know and understand their father and love him and worship him because they saw a son and a daughter in the very beginning who had such a lavish relationship with God and who walked and talked and lavishly adored him and loved him and had full of faith in him and were just... Uh, enjoying the beauty, and then along came, and, um, and, and, and when they transferred the affection, when they transferred 
their attention, when they put it on themselves and, and their abilities, friends, the whole of creation. You know, when you look around, I don't know if you, my brain works like this. I look around and, I, and the magnificence of creation, yet it's groaning. That means it's not displaying what it really wants to display. It's not in its fullness. It's, 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 it's groaning that we would come into line in this place, that we would, we, we, so we get a bigger place so that you can run around the building, so that you can jump up and down, so that you can swing your arms around, and I've, I've got a daughter next to me who's like, that's all she says, dad, watch it, dad, stop hitting me. So you don't have people standing next to you, go, excuse me, I'm trying to focus here. Just the expression, because when you move into the Spirit of God, when you move into that realm of eternity where there's, there's, it's, there's no limits, I want you to know this morning, this is not what, what, I, what I want to preach, but I want you just to know, because it's burning inside of my heart, is I want you to know how good God is. I want you to know when you look around, the Bible says just take a good look around you when you, when you just see the colors, light, the magnificence of God. You, he could have done this a different way. He could have done it very drab. He's, there's nothing drab about God. He's just so, am I getting dangerously close to him, Matt? Um, he's, he's just, he's, oh, you've got to know how good he is. You've got to know that God is so for you and he so loves you and he's just, do you know how happy God is? We get sold an absolute dummy that God is, is quite a grumpy guy. He's an enemy, and that's religion, because as soon as you tie it into works and performance, God is an unhappy guy. Because you see, it's tied into us performing, and we fail. So he can't be happy. No, he's very, very happy. The reality is because he's God, he was very happy even before we came along. Him. The Father, the Son, uh, and the Holy Spirit were very, very happy. And you can see that in creation. There's such a happiness in God. And He so loves His creation. He so loves His kids. And He so just wants Him to come and just receive the fullness of that happiness in the presence of the Lord. There's fullness of joy. When we catch this, this is just coming into his presence and just drinking from his fullness. There's such joy. My trons, woo! They get so excited, friends. And that's how create. The whole of creation is singing a song. Did you know that? Creation is singing a song. It vibrates because it was created by the word of God, the eternal word that does not come back. It's eternally going, woo. See, God doesn't spread himself into the expanse. He is the expanse. He's in control. He's got everything in his arm. Everything works together. Everything's formed together. Everything is held together by him, by Jesus. Ooh. This is just, and uh, I, I don't, I'll just quickly touch on this, and I don't really want to dwell too much on, because I want to share something that the Lord gave me, but but you know, I've been meditating. This is a side issue. Meditating. Um, do you have scriptures that you just meditate on throughout the week, just all the time? It's just mulling over them. You, I get the privilege of being able to give myself time to study a whole bunch of stuff. But sometimes scriptures just grab your heart and you're just meditating on them. And Holy Spirit's just, ooh. See, Holy Spirit's very excited. The Bible says right in the very beginning, He's hovering. I love it. People that are hover, they're excited. Hovering. Ooh. Yes. Yeah, it's not somebody who's got on something. It's, uh, <laughs> they're just excited. 
<laughs> what are they excited about? What are we going to do next? Lord, what are you, what, what you going to say? I want to bring some shape and form to that. And then we just come as the children of God and we just go, oh, hallelujah. We just lose ourselves in his presence and go, oh, I'm going to bring some shape to that. See what I'm going to do? I'm going to come and hover over your life. I'm going to bring some shape there. You're worshiping me in faith. You're trusting. You're saying, Lord, you're the one who provides. Woo, I'm going to hover. I'm going to hover over your provision. I'm going to hover over your finances. I'm going to hover and I'm going to bring shape to them. I'm going to begin to release finances because they come into line with who he is. Because I believe in him. If you catch this, you'll catch the whole essence of Christianity. Ooh, I'm getting excited. I'm just I'm making myself happy here while I just preach. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, just the first couple of verses, but there is a few words here I just want to concentrate on. Let me just say this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you have been raised with Christ, then there's an automatic Something that happens, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things on the earth. That's a whole nother thing, but I just wanted you to read verse 3, because it's so powerful. For you have died. For you have died. Grant, you have died. Let's all think of that for a moment. Oh. But your life is hidden with Christ in God. And just to finish off his thought process, he just, he goes on, uh, no, I'll have to explain something there. So let me me just stick on there quickly. Verse 3. Let's just stick on verse 3. For you have died, and then these eight words, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life, you've died. Pete, you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ, right? We're hidden in Christ, Christ in us, but it's also hidden in God. See, this is an invitation, not only of our life being hidden in Christ, because it says when He returns, then we will also be revealed, right? So, bye, you won't see me, but my life is hidden in Christ, but it's in God, In the bigness of eternity, in the bigness of who God is, He's great. This is the God that we serve. Everything that we see, the physical realms that we see, is measurable. It's, it's, you can weigh it. You can, there's, there's finiteness to it. It's, it doesn't matter. Even the oceans, I can define and I can weigh and I can measure the oceans. But you cannot weigh or measure God. And there's an invitation now for me to be hidden in Christ, in God. In the eternal realms of God, in the eternity of God, if we can, even in our small understanding, just understand the invitation that God is giving us to step into something that is so way beyond us that my life, I died to us. Yes, Grant. Yes, that. Yeah, the guy that that um, took satisfaction from uh, playing 
soccer and, 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 and getting involved in sport and, and, uh, and with the, the guys and at the club or the, the guy that was passionate about um, being a chartered accountant or, uh, or in, in, a, in the workplace and, and uh, five o'clock Friday off with the boys, he's died. He's died. He's now hidden in Christ. When you look at my life now, it should be nothing like that. I'm hidden in Christ. This life that you see me is, is should be Christ. My life portrays, it lives, it breathes Christ. And I'm not just in Christ, but I'm in God. Limitless realms of a life in God. And then Jesus is going to return and Grant's going to pop out, Hi! It's me. See, I'll be revealed, but I'll be revealed in glory in Him. It's a powerful statement about the church, friends. It's a powerful statement about God. It's a powerful statement about an invitation into something. And I believe the church is catching that worldwide, but I believe as 24 7 we're catching that. There is an invitation here. You're not sitting here to get some more information to get some more knowledge about what I need to do to make sure my life works. I'm not after the presence of the Lord because it's another part of how we get what we need in God. I'm after the presence of the Lord because I've fallen in love with Him. That, friends, is the nature and character of David. That is the heart of David. He was not after God for blessing. He was not after God for favor. He was not after God for influence. He was after God because he had fallen in love with who he was. With his God. Amen. So if you want to turn to Psalm 63, I just want to read it again. I think I shared it last week a little bit, but it's just one of those. It's just the heart of David. Um, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Not my soul desperately thirsts for an answer and for a huge deposit in my bank account. My soul thirsts for you. The focus, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We, I, I haven't even got time this morning, but just to unpack that, but meditate on that maybe during the week. Just maybe go without some water for a couple of days and just, just get that nice journey of thirst. Um, and that kind of thirst that he's got is, is, some, is what he desires. He wants not drink water. He wants, he wants God. He's so thirsty for God. And I love this. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. Oh, that's just so beautiful because when you picture who's saying this and you picture David, he walked into the tent. The, the ark was there, not covered up, not, and I've he, he, seen you in the sanctuary. I've sat there and I've looked. And he actually tells us, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and your glory. Whew. See, we kind of go, my instant thing there was, oh, I wish I was like David. And God's going, but you can look at my power and glory anytime you want. It's because I'm now the temple. So to sit there in the sanctuary and just gaze at his power and his glory. And as you gaze at his power and glory, you just get hungry to do miracles and signs and wonders. For, no, my Bible doesn't say that. It's because your steadfast love is better than life. I gaze at his power and glory and I get enamored 
I get overwhelmed. I get stirred up with such a love for him that it's better than life. I don't want to eat. I don't want to drink. I just, I'm in love. I want your presence, Lord. I just, I want to be there with you. I, get, I just gaze upon you and it just makes me come alive. I become a person whose heart is not just about obedience. His heart after your heart. The reason why you ask, the reason why you, you say things. I'm so overwhelmed by that. I'm after what you're saying, not necessarily just doing. See, if we capture that and you fall in love with Jesus, it's not just obedience. God says, do this. Well, I just do it. I understand why he's saying it. See, Psalm 103, I think it's verse 7, um, the Bible says that Israel knew his acts, but Moses knew his ways. And Moses is the one who's called the friend of God. I'm your friend because I, I know your ways. I know, I know why you, you're doing it. It's, it's not just, um, hey, God, he's told us, don't touch my avo tree. And, and so I've got to be obedient and not touch his avo tree. It's more a case of I know what's going on behind the avo tree, the reason for the avo tree, what, what, what it took him, what, what the price that he paid, the, the journey, the, the reasons behind it, that those avos sustain and do amazing. See, when I understand his ways, I understand who he is, his heart, obedience becomes so easy. That doesn't mean I don't, can't slip up. See, but I run back to his heart. I run back to who he is. That's why God could say to, about David, he's a man after my own heart. 1 Samuel 13, it's a beautiful story there. David's probably between 10 and 13 years old. Between 10 and 13 years old. It's great for parents. But my kid is still young. Don't worry, when he grows up, we can know. He was between 10 and 13 years old, and God said, that is a man after my own heart. That's the guy that I want. What you can do is just simply at that age, what can you do except just put adoration on? You can't really achieve too much. You're still trying to figure out your ABs and Cs and put sentences together. But the reality is with a heart that's after God, you see. Who? See, only God will satisfy a heart like David. See, it was a heart that had total, total trust and faith in God. He had encountered the living God, and he had put his faith and his trust totally in him. Now, I want to touch on something very quickly this morning, because, and I, I, I hope we'll unpack it a little bit more um, over the next few weeks, um, because I, th I don't believe you can fully understand grace if you don't understand what I, what I tell you this morning, what I'm going to share with you. Um, because grace is just the, the, the nature of God. It's just, it's just who He is. He's just a lavish, good God. It's not something He decided to do. They had a committee meeting and thought, shame, these guys are suffering. Let me decide. It's who He is. See, grace is a person. His name is Jesus. See, grace and truth came. The law was given. Yeah. Israel. Have a go. But no man could achieve or do anything because the law don't help you. The Lord don't help you. That doesn't sound great English. But anyway, it don't help you, man. <laughs> Whereas grace came. Why did grace come? Because grace helps you. In fact, grace takes your place. It says, let me do it. 
It's so, we can catch this, but, but let's just quickly go to Galatians 3. Galatians 3, if you've got your Bibles, it's really good to always dance around through the Word of God. The Bible says be good students um, and uh, study to show yourself approved. So, but I, I really don't want to uh, teach this morning, the Lord help me. Uh, I just really want to impart. So even if you don't write anything down, or do, just, just, just sit and receive, uh, look at the Scriptures. Maybe later on you can go back and have a look at, at some things. But let's just quickly go to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3, um, for the sake of time, I'm just going to jump quickly to verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So there was the law, it was holding us captive, we were imprisoned until faith came. So the clear thing we can understand here is that faith came. So it wasn't there, it came. Faith came. We were imprisoned under the law until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. Faith came. Now the word changed to Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. Faith came in Jesus Christ. So let's ask ourselves this question. So what is this faith? See, the Bible also says in um, uh, Hebrews 12, I think it's 12, Hebrews 12, um, verse 2, it says um, that Jesus is the author, or another word, creator, originator of our faith. See, Jesus is the author and not just the originator, he's also the finisher, the perfecter. So he created it, orchestrated, authored it, and he perfects it. What is this faith? See, faith is not in the head. It's a matter of the Heart. So we have to understand this faith. We understand the Bible. So if you go to um, Galatians chapter 2, I think it's verse 8, it tells us how we got born again, how we received Christ. Because we're right there, you can just flick over if you want. Or was it, did I say Ephesians? Ephesians 2, verse 8, did I say Galatians? Well, you can go to Galatians too, because that's also really good, but it's probably for another preach. But let. In Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's a gift of God. For by grace you have been saved. That's so beautiful, for by grace. It's a gift, it's a free gift. By grace you have been saved. But the way you're saved is through faith. So what is this saving faith? I'll tell you why it's so important. Because in Colossians 2, I think it's verse 6, it says, um, As you received him, so walk ye in him. So it's so vital that we understand how we received him by grace through faith that we also walk in the same way. So let me give it to you like this. This faith that I'm talking about, it includes knowledge, 
and includes agreement or approval, and it also includes personal trust. Knowledge. It's important for us to have knowledge. We must understand who Jesus is and what He's done, right? In Romans 10 verse 14, it says, How can they believe in Him whom they have never heard? So it is important that we have facts about Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection, um, all about who He is. But you can have all that knowledge, all those facts, and you can still rebel against that. You can still dislike that, right? In James 2 verse 19, it says, Even the demons know and believe and shudder. Right? So you need knowledge, but also the second one, agreement or approval. You also need agreement or approval. It's important you agree or approve of this knowledge or these facts. Nicodemus knew and approved of these. He said, I know that you come from God, because nobody can do these things unless God is with them. See, he knew and approved of them, but he was not born again. In, uh, in Acts 26, uh, we studied it a little while ago, Acts 26, 27, it's Paul chatting to King Agrippa. He's sharing um, this journey, this testimony of the gospel. King Agrippa is agreeing. He has knowledge of the Jewish understanding of, of, of their journey and their history. He certainly agrees with everything, but you'll see in verse, uh, the next verse, 28, he says, Paul, hey, do you think in such a short space of time you're trying to convert me and to become a Christian? So he was not saved, but he had the facts and the knowledge and he was in agreement or approval, right? So number three, the third one, personal trust. You cannot be born again unless you have all three. Personal trust. I can have knowledge and approval, but unless I depend on Jesus to save me, I am not saved. I have to move from an interesting, interested observer to someone who enters into a living relationship with Jesus Christ, right? It's a trust in Jesus as a living person. Now, in our modern day terms and our speaking, we have to understand that this was written in a, a different context, a different understanding, a different time. So in our modern day understanding and thinking, if I can say this, the word trust is way better than belief or faith in our modern day understanding. See, let me say this. Belief can be used for something we believe to be true, but have no personal commitment or dependence involved in it. See, I can believe whatever. Um, who? I don't believe that, but <laughs> but I can believe something um, which may be a fact and may be true, but it doesn't bring any personal commitment or involvement in it, right? The capital of a country, whatever, can be true, right? I was trying to think of a capital of a country, but I went blank, so I couldn't even think of South Africa's capital. But anyway, that is just. I'm not sure we even know what our capital. Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> See, so belief can be used for something. I believe this. I believe that. We use this word belief so easily, um, but it's not, doesn't give the full essence of, of the biblical meaning. We also use the word faith today, so um, in a different way. 
We use it in a kind of irrational commitment to something, even though there is strong evidence against it. Um, a great example of this, I was just thinking about it, it, it pains me to use this example, but anyway, um, um, there was, I'm a passionate football lover, and um, I, for my sins, no, no, they're forgiven, um, I, I support Manchester United, so Manchester United are playing Liverpool, and, um, and uh, never, I'll never walk alone, yeah, yeah I'll be walking, no, um, so, so they, the, guy, the guys are saying, so what do you think of the game, and I'm going like, oh, well, just hopefully we keep the, the score down, and, um, and then the person says to me, oh, don't you have faith? See how we use this word faith? It's an irrational commitment with very little grounding and very strong evidence contrary to it. Moving on. It's hurting, Eddie. I know it's hurting. It's hurting for me to say this. Moving on, moving on. So... What I want to encourage you with is, is um, when a person comes up, if, you, if you've got a, a sickness, disease, or infirmity this morning, um, and I'd love you, please, to come and to, for us to pray with you, because I have faith. Um, but I'll explain that. Because, you see, if a person comes up in a wheelchair, and they've got no legs, and now they said, I want to walk, please, can you pray for me? Um, faith isn't this irrational commitment of like everything says something else, but I'm just going to... You see, if you have that kind of faith, you start to pop some veins. It's hard work. It's like, ooh, got to raise myself up now. I believe your word, Lord. I've got to lay hands on this person now. Ooh, actually, I'll preach another half an hour because I don't want to get to the person. <laughs> um, you see, that... That's not faith. faith. Faith isn't this irrational commitment, you see. Faith is a trust in Jesus Christ. See, faith isn't me thinking that I can do something there. Faith is me believing God, the lover of my soul, and what He's done and who He is when I lay hands and when I pray. I hope I can get that better across to you as we just... See, that... Irrational commitment to something, even though there's strong evidence against it, is not faith. It's not the biblical idea of faith. See, the word trust is way better. It's a word we can understand because we understand about how we trust one another. There's something tangible that, in the room even here today that can reference that. That, hey, yeah, I understand trust. I know, you, you, you know, I, I trust people in my normal life. So there's something here that God wants us to understand what this faith is is and what it looks like um, that may be a little bit different to putting your hand up and walking to the front and repeating a prayer. Because a lot of the time, there's a lot of people sitting in churches today who have got the knowledge and the understanding. Somebody has spoken, they've said, wow, they got the knowledge. And then they've had this approval. And yes, so there's a cerebral understanding. So I put my hand up, I repeat that, that sounds really good. But a personal trust, a personal faith. See, with the heart, man believes. See, it's a matter of the heart, not the head. If you don't have that, and what's that? Putting my dependence, my t there's only one way. 
to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. I commit my life and my dependence. So a lot of people sitting in church today thinking that they're born again when they've had no part of a personal transaction with a living God called in His name is Jesus Christ. And that's not a, that's not a, a shaking, uh, that's not a challenge to anybody. That's just the re- reality that faith came. Faith came in Jesus Christ. There wasn't faith until He came because He's now become the answer. Now I can put my confidence because it's by grace. I can't earn this thing or I can't deserve it, but I can put my confidence, my, my trust in Him now by faith. See, in John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, To all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave the power to become children of God. To all who received Him. To all who received Him. That's a way different word here. This isn't acceptance. I accepted Jesus Christ into my life. No, no, this isn't acceptance. This is, those, this is who received Him. There's a personal it's like you receive somebody into your home. There's a personal connection here that uh, is vital in our understanding of faith. Um, you can also, if you look at John 3:16, you know the beautiful scripture, for God so loved the world, He gave begotten Son, begotten Son, whoever believes. Does it say whoever believes Him? In Him. Whoever believes in Him. Now, a couple of little great words which I don't even want to... Um, but anyway, if you study there the Greek phrase, if you go in your Bible, go have a look at the Greek phrase there. That is, it's P-I-S-T-E-O. Pisteo, I-S-E-I-S, Orton, A-U-T-O-N. Pisteo, ice Orton. It means, if you do a direct translation, it means... It means believe into Him. See, we just we battle with our English. So it's like, eh, better word for that would be believe in Him. But actually what it actually means is into Him. Believe into Him. There's an intimate connection here that takes place. There's a, a sense of trust and confidence that goes into and rests in Jesus as a person. Um, for the sake of time, John 6.37 um, talks about um, the Father has given me all those that come to me, right? John 7.37, Jesus stands up in the, in the feast and he says, all those who are thirsty, come to me and drink, right? Uh, Matthew 11.28, Jesus said, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, right? So faith must have knowledge and agreement, but without a personal trust, it is not faith. Amen. When I make, when I make a decision of my will to depend on or put my trust in Jesus as my Savior, then I am saved. This personal decision in Jesus is something done in my heart, right? Not my head, it's done in my heart. Now we've got to go back to have a look at David's heart. And I, I, the reason why that's so important is because um, if we get the wrong lens here, you will misunderstand faith 
and that God was always calling you to come back to that place of having a confidence and a trust in Him and in nothing else. So when we come and we worship, what are we doing? We're elevating Him, we're lifting Him, him up to that place where our confidence and our trust is totally in Him. And when you put your faith in Him, then nothing is impossible for God. See, not so much the formulas, not so much the rules, putting your confidence and your faith, a heart after God. David just put his confidence, put his trust in the Lord. Um, Abraham, God just tells him a whole bunch of stuff, just puts his confidence and his faith and his trust in him. Yes, he, God told him something, he gained some knowledge. Yes, he gave his approval, but he put total confidence that God could do it. Amen. So now, when, when um, Samuel comes along and anoints David, he says, um, he said, let, um, I think this guy is the one. And then God says, no, he's not. Man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. So for every single one of us, the key principle that we need to capture is God sees things differently. He doesn't see things the way you and I see them. He sees them differently. How does he see them? He looks inside. God is spirit. So he's not looking at a whole bunch of actions. He's looking inside. Luke 18, 8, it says that when Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith? What is he talking about? He's talking about this faith. What's faith? It's a matter of the heart. Not a whole bunch of actions. A whole bunch of actions. The church could be um, raising the dead, could be uh, prophesying, could be doing a whole bunch of stuff, but he, he wants to look and he says, will I find this faith? inside of you. What's that? A confidence and a trust in me. Not doing a bunch of stuff. How many know that you can't do a bunch of stuff without God? If you don't, we can go and study um, Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, we did mighty works in your name. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Never. Not, I did know you, but you moved to across town. No, I never, ever knew you. So there is a reality that you can do a whole bunch. It makes us wake up a little bit about signs and wonders. It makes us remind ourselves that Moses threw down his rod and it turned into a snake. So did a bunch of other magicians. They also threw it down outside of faith in God. That's a side issue, Lord. Let's not go there. So he looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward, so God looks and sees things differently. He looks on the heart. When the Bible says faith is found in Christ, something about the heart of David caught something of Jesus. Something He stepped into an understanding of Abraham's covenant and he stepped into an understanding of Jesus because he was open to the full presence of the Lord. So if you... Um, if you want to turn with me quickly to um, Psalm 56, let's just quickly go to Psalm 56. Let me pull this together. Psalm 56, if you just read verse 3 and 4, David says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. 
in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? This, why I love this so much is David says, when I am afraid, he's not, he, he's not ashamed or scared or, or, or can't want to cover up or pretend before the Lord. When I am afraid, he's telling you, I get afraid. Not now, fear, far from me. No, because God can see. You see, he knows. When he sat there looking at the beauty, gaze on the power and the glory of the Lord, he knows God sees everything. But he has such a confidence in God that he can be truthful. He can be transparent. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. What's the answer? David turns and puts his trust in the Lord. What does trusting look like? In God, whose word I praise. Trust is having a full confidence and honoring and believing in the word of God. You see, uh, there's a lot of scriptures for the sake of time. Um, when, you, when you meditate on the word of God, when you dwell in it, the word of God becomes your strength, your life, your hope. Um, so many things. Psalm 119, go study the whole psalm, but uh, verse 28, 107, 114, 147, 161, they all say the same thing. There is a confidence that we can have when we put our trust in the Word of God. So there are two things in David's heart and David's life that are vital for a heart that's after God's heart, which is what God is calling for every single one of us in, this, in these last days to have. Two things. Number one, who we are satisfied in or what satisfies us. And number two, waiting on the Lord. Wait and trust the Lord. That's how those, those are the keys in David's heart. He's prepared to, and uh, while I'm, I'm speaking, turn to Psalm 37 quickly. He's prepared to wait on the Lord. He's not frustrated. So, uh, two key things. One, he is satisfied in God. God is, his, is the one who satisfies him. Friends, it, only God can satisfy you. That's how we were designed. That's how we were made. Everything else will never satisfy you. You can sit, we sit in an environment now and every single one of us, we go, we need to buy a house. We buy a house, um, different size houses, different houses, whatever, and they've all got beautiful, um, nice tiled roofs and what have you, but we're never satisfied. So, um, you know what I need? I actually need a nice thatch roof. That really makes you look quite lonely. Double story, thatch house, that's, that's proper. But if you go live in the Eastern Cape, you're surrounded by thatched roofs. But you know what the thing is about when you're surrounded by thatched roofs? You know what you really need? You need a tiled roof. Because we, we will never get satisfied no matter what you do outside of God. And David caught this and understood this and realized no matter what the goal or the aim is, you never get satisfied. And the world has proven it over and over again. Guys are getting richer and richer and richer and more and more, more billions, more this, more that, but never ever satisfied. Because there's nothing in this world that can satisfy you. But it is very important that you discern what satisfies you. Because he must be the one who satisfies you. And then the waiting on the Lord is because when He satisfies you, then I can put my confidence and my trust in Him, and I can wait for Him to begin to operate. So Psalm 37, one of my scriptures, life scriptures is in verse 4. 
Delight yourself in the Lord. Satisfy yourself. He satisfies you. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And then um, just jumping to verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And then if you jump to 11, it says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is so powerful. It's just a, uh, this whole psalm is captivating these two elements of being satisfied in God and then waiting on the Lord. And then you might say to me, thank you for asking that question. You might be saying, but, but now, can you explain a little bit of how you wait on the Lord? Yes, David does. If you go to verse 5, 6, 7, even verse 8, it's a picture of those who wait on the Lord. This is how David waited on the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Four things very quickly. One, trust in the Lord. How do you wait on the Lord? Trust in the Lord. There's nothing that you can do, nothing that you can force or to happen. I'll wait for Him. He's the one who satisfies me. I don't want to try and do this thing myself. I'm going to trust for my confidence, my everything in Him and who He is. Number two, commit your way. The Hebrew word for commit is golal, which means to roll onto. So when you commit your way, you roll it on to God. You commit it to Him. You, it's like roll all your cares onto me. You see, you, it's, it's, that, it's that idea of just handing it over to Him. Just commit it into His hands. Once He's got it, you can't take it back. So I trust Him, and then I give it to Him. Right? Then number three, it says, Be quiet or still before the Lord, not fretting or frenzy of activity or thoughts. So vital now in the days that we're living in. You have to be still. You have to quieten yourself before the Lord. All this frenzy of thoughts and activities is because we are not doing this. So now we have to quieten my heart, quieten down all those thoughts because I trust the Lord and I've committed my way to Him. And then number four, don't fret over the wicked. You see, in in Matthew 24, I think it's verse 12. No, I don't think it's verse 12. I know it's verse 12. Verse 12, it says, Lawlessness will be on the increase in the last days. And it says the love of many will grow cold. Why would lawlessness increasing cause the love of many to grow grow cold? See, because what is lawlessness? It's, it's, It's a disregard for the law. So... I'm like, I'm doing everything that you told me to do, Lord, and why aren't you answering? These are the requirements. I've read the Word. I know I'm doing everything that, I've, that I should do in the Word of God, but I'm not getting the answer. So suddenly people, they disregard the law, and they don't get nailed for it. It seems like the wicked are flourishing. <laughs> So he's saying, don't fret yourself. See, 
Because if you are one of those people in these last days whose commitment and heart and life is in doing for the Lord, in following something in order to get something from God, your love will grow cold. Because you'll get frustrated. Just think of yourself in um, traffic in the mornings in Johannesburg. Where there is only one lane, but the taxi creates a second lane. (laughs) Then you get a little bit frustrated with that, but okay, I'll live with that. Then everybody else follows the taxi and creates another lane. Now we've got three lanes, which is not helping because we don't get where we need to go uh, because these guys just mess it up. And it's just lawlessness that's prevailing. And then my love for the JMPD becomes weak because I dump in and follow the same group of people. I don't. No. But what I'm saying is that that's why. You see, because their love is in the wrong place. See, David was saying, don't fret over that. To you, see, to you and I, because God looks on the heart, not on the outward. To you and I, it looks like they're getting away with it. Nobody's getting away with anything. I promise you. They will be held accountable. I'm in love with the Lord. Not the law, the Lord. And if I'm in love with the Lord, then I'm just following Him. I'm not going to fret myself over what other people seem to be getting away with or whatever other people are doing. I'm just in love with Him. I'm in love with who He is. I love to please Him. I love to honor Him. I love for Him to, to, um, uh, to be with me and in, in, to be in His presence. So if I do these things, then as I wait on Him, then He enables me now divinely to do what He's called me to do. You see? And it's not based on what you do, it's based on who he is. And I'm trying to go back over and over again, back to David and his heart. It was all about God for David. It was all about who he was. It was he messed up, if I could tell you the number of times, and not small, big. I believe that God put that in the Bible so that we could understand these were not small things. These were big suckers. Um, to let us know that this isn't just... This is the whole point of the exercise is to be in love with God, is to, to, to fall in love with Him, to put our confidence and our trust in Him. It's how we got born again. See, it's how you will stay. You see, because in the last days, just quickly go to uh, Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, and I've landed. Hebrews 10, if you just go quickly to um, verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. I, I haven't got time to unpack all of that, but just in light of all that I've been saying, just it's important that you have a confidence. Because um, it has great, great, not small, great reward. So just meditate on that for a little while about your confidence. But listen to this, verse 36. For you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Why do we have need of endurance? To do the will of God. But you have need of endurance. So, now, when we look at a scripture, James chapter 1, verse 2, 3, 4, It says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials because the testing of your 
faith produces endurance. So how do I get endurance that I have need of? I get it by my faith being tested. What's my faith? My faith is my trust and my confidence in Jesus Christ. So 1 Peter 1 verse 6 or 7, it says, and these fiery trials are going to come our way because it's testing what? The genuineness of your faith, which is like gold. It's so, it's like gold in our lives. You see, our faith, it gets tested. What is our faith? Our faith is our confidence and our trust. And when it gets tested, if our confidence and our trust is in the Lord, we're not trying to go by rules, and that's why people fall away, because their love isn't in the Lord. Their love is in other things, like Demas. His love for the world has taken him away. Um, when our love is in the Lord, it's tested. It's found to be gold. It's found to be genuine. That causes what? Endurance. And I have need of endurance if I'm to finish the race that God's called me to. Right now, the church is in need of endurance. It needs endurance because we're pushing through some stuff that the enemy is throwing in all different ways, making us busy, stuff's attacking our lives. And what is happening is our faith is being tested. That's not your ability to pop veins. That's not your ability to heal a cancer patient. That's your trust and your confidence in God. It's being tested. Do you have a full confidence and a trust in the Lord? If I'm found wanting, all God asks is that we repent. How many know that's how we got saved? Faith and repentance, they work together. How many know the end of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, faith, hope, and love. We are, these three, all three things abide. Faith is not just a moment, it is your abide. It will continue even into eternity. The greatest of those is love, though. But faith, our faith gets tested, our trust and our confidence in God. Amen. So I say, say all of that just to say the heart of David is, is a man. He was, he was not a man after God's blessings. He was, a, he, he was a man after God's own heart, the heart of God. So he wanted to know God. So he got to know God, and then he could put his confidence and his trust totally in God. So when we come and we worship and we love him, we just come to put our confidence and our trust in him. Where it's been shaken, I just repent. I say, sorry, Lord, that thing really shook me for a moment. For a brief moment, I just I lost understanding of actually who you are. That you, there's, you're not 99% good. If you're 99% good, that 1% means I can't worship you. He's not 99% powerful. If there's 1% that he's not, then I can't worship him. Then he's, he, you see, he's not God. He's 100% in every single area. So I come to that place of such a confidence and a trust, such a dependence on him. See, it's not based on some irrational thinking. This is based on knowledge. This is based on understanding of who he is, his nature, his character, the heart of God. And I, in lo I'm in love with him, the person. And as I'm in love with Him and I put my confidence and my trust in Him, and as I worship Him, He begins to minister and take care of stuff. Amen. So now you can understand why Jesus did it all on the cross. He can't leave a gap. He can't do 99%, church, and leave that 1% for you and I to do. Number one, even 1% will fail. But the truth is He can't. 
then it's not grace. It's earned. So if we understand grace, we understand the people of God can rise up with such a confidence. Don't throw your confidence away. It has great reward. There is a grounding as to why we have a confidence. It's found in the Word of God. And when we find it and we believe it and we put our trust in it, then nothing is impossible. Amen. Shall we stand? Now, I think I taught that instead of imparting it, but I just, I really do want to encourage us because when God first spoke this to me, it rocked my heart on faith. There's so much that we try and do in faith instead of having a confidence and a trust. And there's so much even in our worship, that we try and do instead of having a trust and a confidence.